0: Hello, hello, and welcome to the Better Birth Podcast. Better Birth Podcast is brought to you by Anja Health. We are helping pregnant parents keep stem cells from their umbilical cord and placenta so they can use them later on in life in case any family member needs a stem cell treatment. My name is Catherine, and I am the founder of Angel Health. I founded it in memory of my younger brother, Andrew, who passed away but needed cord blood stem cells to treat his own cerebral palsy. So, being able to save stem cells right at birth is something that is really important to me. And Angel Health is actually named after my brother, Andrew. So, it is really special. And everything that we do is in memory of him, but also with the broader mission of making birth better for parents, including the experience of cord blood banking. So, without further ado, do, here is today's episode. Thank you so much for listening. So how do you typically like to introduce yourself? I
1: guess as a co-founder and general partner of Hustle Fund, we've invested in over over 400 uh, startups and uh, we have over 1,500 angel investors who
0: invest alongside of us as well. Cool. And what's the size of the fund and which fund is it?
1: Yeah, we are on fund three right now. And that's about a 46 and a half million dollar fund.
0: Cool. Okay, awesome. Um, What do you feel like your mission in life is personally and also professionally? On the professional side, actually, I did a lot of
1: soul searching on this. So my last company, I, you know, was an ad company, I had a relatively modest exit. And so I wanted to start another company, but I wanted to be something that was my life's work. So I actually thought a lot about this and tried many experiments and worked on a number of different side projects. And then one day it sort of dawned on me because I had been mentoring companies, angel investing in companies. And I realized that actually, I really loved working with startups. And it was, a, you know, startups have problem sets that I know very well having been a founder for many years. So my mission from a professional standpoint um, is to actually help start ecosystems everywhere Uh, and great founders be able to get access to capital knowledge and networks. So, Mm -hmm. you know, we're hoping at Hustle Fund to what we call democratize wealth through
0: startups. Where did the ethos come from to do like kind of the like spray and pray approach of multiple small checks?
1: I think that's something that I had a lot of influence on or or rather, sorry, um, 500 Startups, which is the accelerator program that I had Uh, worked at and worked with for a few years prior to Hustle Fund, they had a lot of influence on my thinking around this. Um, Certainly, I think at this point, there's a lot of data out there around portfolio construction and startups. And Mm -hmm. you know, I think when you invest so early, obviously, it's very risky. And there are obviously pros and cons to investing super early. But if you're going to invest really early, you have to have really good portfolio construction. And for this reason, this is why actually a lot of accelerator programs, whether it's 500 or YC or Techstars or any of them, they all have a lot of startups. And if you look at a lot of precede pre-seed investment funds as well, they also have a lot of startups. Um, it is one of the few ways to systematically make the model work. I think you know if you have a concentrated portfolio of fewer numbers of startups, you need to be absolutely certain that the startups are going to work or or something. And um,
0: that's really hard to guarantee a pre-seed. Okay, awesome. Well, yeah, you were my first track. So I was super grateful. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank um, you. <laughs> cool. Um. So yeah, how would you describe what you do today in terms of your day-to-day? And you definitely include parenting as a part of that.
1: It's funny, my son, who's my younger one, was born... Uh, about six weeks prior to starting Hustle Fund. So (laughs) both my personal and professional babies are growing up at the same time. (laughs) And so I can see both growing up. And so I think, you know, now on the day-to-day side uh, of both life and work, I'm about, you know, call it six years in. Mm -hmm. And I think at this point, you know, certainly for Hustle Fund, it's a later stage startup in that it's going, things are working. We've hired a lot of people. We have you know, about 30 people who work at Hustle Fund now. So unlike when it was just two people in a garage, like when Eric and I started the firm, um, I'm not running around doing everything and often I don't know exactly what is happening on a day-to-day basis and everything and so there's a lot of trust in the people we've hired and and also a lot of coordination like I think my primary role now is like coordination to make sure that you know everyone is on the same page um that there's no or try to mitigate the chaos try to add processes and operations so that things scale that's how I see my role now at Hustle Fund, where actually, if I'm successful, I should be obsolete. And on the personal side, actually, in a similar way, I, you know, my kids are now, my younger one, like I said, is now six. And so um, they, you know, both he and my older one are on their way. And similarly, I'm not doing everything for them day to day, right? Like, I'm not changing their diapers or, (laughs) or feeding them. They can feed themselves. They can pack their own lunch. They can, you know, they can get their stuff together. And so it's more, I see my job is more like shepherding, shepherding things to make sure that they run smoothly and just ensuring that they, they also have, you know, the tools they need to, to do things themselves more or less.
0: Yeah. Do you prefer this or the earlier stages in both startups (laughs) and kids? Uh, I think I prefer this all around.
1: Um, yeah. I mean, as you know, on the startup founder side, it's just so, so busy when you're starting a company and it's just you running around doing everything.
0: Yeah. It's easy to
1: get burnt out. Now I think, you know, I can definitely take a breather. I can even take a vacation and things don't fall apart. And so it's just a lot more scalable and a lot more manageable. Um, mentally and also just generally and then same with on the kids side of things like you know I actually never really loved the baby or the toddler stage because uh, they you know babies and toddlers literally need their parents for every little thing whether it's diaper yeah. changes or there's something wrong and you have to suit them and stuff like that and I actually find a lot of joy in you know seeing them grow up and being able to learn new skills and do things themselves I think you just sort of feel like oh You know, all the work you put into parenting is going somewhere.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's awesome. Um, It's
1: surprisingly very similar on both sides, actually.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's super interesting. Brief interruption for our podcast listeners, and then we'll get right back to it. If you're currently pregnant, then this is important for you to know. So when I was three and my brother was one, he was in a near drowning accident that gave him cerebral palsy. One treatment for cerebral palsy is giving children stem cells from their own umbilical cord. The umbilical cord and placenta are both super rich with stem cells that can be used to replace and repair damaged cells. And when they come from the baby, they're a perfect match for that baby. However, my family didn't save stem cells for my brother and we couldn't find a match when the time came. It's pretty difficult to find a cord blood stem cell match if you're a person of color or mixed race. So the best solution to this problem is to save stem cells right at birth. You can do this with Anja Health. We have a kit that you can bring with you to birth and it contains all of the tools that your provider needs to collect your umbilical cord and placenta. After birth, you can place a pickup in our parent portal and we'll come and pick it up from anywhere in the United States and bring it to our lab in New Jersey where it will be frozen in the same way that you can freeze eggs or sperm. Then your family will always have access to stem cells for future disease treatment. Stem cells have been used to treat type 1 diabetes, different types of cancers, heart disease, liver disease, multiple sclerosis, and more. Get your kit today with Anja Health by going to AnjaHealth.com. That's A-N-J-A-H-E-A-L-T-H.com. You can always text or call us with questions as well at 310-620-1663. And yes, it is always a real person. And now back to the episode. Um. Okay, cool. Well, yeah, I'd love to pivot into sort of deciding to have a baby and pregnancy and everything there. Um, so I guess you could answer for both your kids since you have two. Um, but something that I, am really interested in that I've been kind of working through as I've been doing these interviews is I feel like a lot of moms, especially in tech are kind of living a double life. Like I've chatted with a lot of founders who, um, like basically declined to interview or like wanted to wait to, for me to release the interview because they're like fundraising or whatever. And they're really worried about how investors will perceive them as a parent versus as just like a single female founder, um, And so, yeah, if, if there's anything you, you wanted to, or any threads you wanted to pull on sort of in that vein, I think that that would be really interesting. Um, but yeah, I'm curious what motivated you to have kids in the first place and were they both planned? They
1: were both planned, but I would say that, you know, just, I think given my profession and lifestyle, like there was never really a great time to have children. And my older one, Uh, was actually born when I was running my ad startup. And then my younger one, as I kind of mentioned, was born just a few weeks before we started Hustle Fund. So in both cases, I actually did not really get much of a maternity leave and it was like very chaotic. And so I think, you know, to that end, I, I totally understand how founders think about this because certainly for my older one, it was something that I thought a lot about, like how would my investors react To my Mm -hmm. becoming a parent. I had one investor ask me, like, how do you plan on balancing, uh, you know, having a child and, and your startup? And I think, you know, on one hand, when I heard that question, I felt like, oh, you know, it is kind of a fair question. But on the other hand, I also felt like he would never ask uh, a dad that question. And so there is that double standard. And, uh, you know, I understand uh, actually around that time, there were a couple of blog posts that had gone out about how some male investors, um, you know, openly said that they didn't want to be investing in female founders who were pregnant because they felt like, Yeah, because they felt like, well, that's just a disadvantage. And I think having gone through the gauntlet a couple of times, you know, on one hand, yes, like I think we should be very open and say, you know, hey, actually, it is really hard to be a new parent and also run a startup. Like I fully admit that. But I think the other thing that is important is to have long term thinking like, okay, we'll all just sort of muddle through this time period. But in the grand scheme of things, you know, when I think about hustle, hustle, fund, I actually think about this as a 30 or 40 year journey. So mm-hmm. the time span of six months when it's really hard or four months when it's really hard is nothing. I think other startups uh, tend to think about their time span in terms of perhaps five to 10 years. But even on a five to 10 year time span, you know, half a year is is not that big of a deal. So yeah. I think investors are a little short-sighted about this and and perhaps that trickles down to founders as well. Everyone is just always so impatient, but I really do encourage people to think more long-term now. And, um, you know, I think with that in mind, uh, you know, it can be done for sure. So
0: yeah. how do you suggest female founders sort of balance either being pregnant or being a parent? Like to what extent should they reveal that?
1: Yeah, you know, I think actually during COVID and when video conference meetings became more of the norm, certainly for first meetings, that was actually extremely helpful to many people because you couldn't actually see whether someone was pregnant or, yeah. or whatever, right? Like you, you were no longer judged so much by your appearances, unlike in in-person meetings. So I, you know, I think that it is unfortunate that the world does judge people that way. And I think the more that, you know, you obviously as a female founder, you want to do everything you can to have, um, you know, that edge or rather not lose that edge if you are pregnant. And so I would encourage, you know, video conference meetings. But I think the other thing is also the world has changed and that there are more investors now who understand this. And this is why there should be more investors. So that way people have choice. I mean, for us at Hustle Fund we've backed so many parents or people who became parents. Like to me, it's just, that's what's going to happen. Like, and, and to a good extent, I actually think that's great. Like our founders should have joy in their life. And if they want to have children, then they should be able to. So I don't, I I don't think we should pressure people into sort of weird behavior. And uh, this is, you know, I think we are kind of entering a, a new stage where You know, now you have choice on investors to some extent, and you should go with investors who really resonate with you.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That was something that struck me at at your guys' hustle fund event in SF was um, just the diversity in founders, especially with age too, is something that I noticed like that you had backed like kind of older founders or just like above. The age of 30. Like, I feel like at most tech events, I meet like mainly people that are like 30 or younger. I think it's also like self-selecting, like older parents might not necessarily have the time. Cool. So how would you describe your kids' family structure?
1: I think because I do have a busy day job, my kids are pretty self-sufficient. Uh, and that was really important to me. And that is something, honestly, that has made my life easier. But, you know, like, I start my calls at seven in the morning every day which means that when they come down to eat breakfast they get their own breakfast they pack all the stuff they need for school Mm -hmm. like so by the time we go to school or my husband takes them to school like they are ready to go like that is not something that we get involved (laughs) with and you know stuff like that so I think that's you know, they, they, for the most part can do a lot of things themselves. They can even cook. So, (laughs) um, you know, I think that's, that's just something that was really important to me. Like I see my job as a parent as you're a little bit like a coach, actually, it's again, Mm -hmm. has similarities to my, my professional life, but you're a little bit like a coach. You're not trying to do everything for them forever. So like your job is to get them prepared for when they turn 18 and they need to actually do everything
0: themselves. Yeah. Um, That's so interesting. How, how did you set the expectation that they need to be self-sufficient so young?
1: I think actually, because I see so many kids who are so coddled in this day and age, it actually was sort of a visceral reaction to me that my children just can't be like that. Like there's so many kids who go off to college now who are literally not prepared to do anything themselves, whether it's their own laundry or, you know, finding food for themselves or whatever it is like, which is just, sort of mind-blowing and perhaps I'm a little old-fashioned uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> but I I think you know I that's that's kind of the mode I was in less so because uh you know I felt like oh a three-year-old should be able to do their own laundry <laughs> <laughs> does your three-year-old do his own laundry <laughs> Well, he's now six, um, but he does do his own laundry and has been doing his own laundry actually since then. (laughs) Oh, wow. (laughs) It's not that challenging, right? You throw the clothes in there and you press some buttons.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Did you you feel the same about your birth? Um, Like, did you feel kind of just like laissez-faire about it?
1: Pretty much, mostly because I didn't really have much time. Also, both of them were born early. So Mm. for the first one, you know, my first one was born a month early. So actually I didn't even get to do any of the birthing classes. I didn't even get to take the tour of the hospital. Um, So I, you know, you just kind of go in there and you wing things.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Okay, interesting. Um, Yeah, so I, I guess that kind of leads into my next question. Like, how did you go about deciding your birth plan? Did you even create a birth plan? Maybe even for your second baby? Um, And how did you sort of think about structuring your birth team and preferences? I I don't think I even thought about it.
1: (laughs) Uh, I mean, I I think the only thing that I thought about was, I I thought it was important to actually pick a a hospital that had a good infrastructure. Um, And by that, I mean, so I could not have predicted this, but for some odd reason, I decided to pick a hospital for my first one that had a NICU. Mm-hmm. Um, just in case, and it turned out we needed the NICU, so because my okay. because my older one was born early, um, but beyond that, you know i didn't I didn't really look into very much at all,
0: okay, interesting. What about for pregnancy? like was it were you doing anything to sort of optimized pregnancy or um were you just kind of like time to work
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, i mean i I think part of why I'm a little bit averse to this is you know, I had picked up, I think some materials on various things, but like, for example, I remember reading this one blog for my older one about what you should eat or something. And, Mm -hmm. and then there were of course, comments like at the bottom of the blog. And I I was reading these comments where people are saying all kinds of things like, Oh, I don't, I don't eat salad anymore because of this risk. Mm -hmm i don't eat this and i don't need that and by the time i finished reading all the comments i was like wow if you literally followed all these people you would not be eating anything yeah. <laughs> you know there's a, like you hear sort of more common things like oh don't eat raw fish don't drink alcohol and then some other people have strong opinions about don't eat deli meat and all this other stuff but like you can really there's risk in literally everything you eat so yeah. i i felt like well this is this is kind of stupid so I'm not going to read any more of this stuff because honestly, nobody knows. And I feel like in general, a lot of this health science stuff goes back and forth over the generation. So I felt like this was just totally useless and I was just going to go with my own common sense.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's funny. It's interesting because I notice amongst tech parents that I chat with, um, there's usually very little preparation. I feel like because people are busy and yeah, they just kind of like trust their own common sense versus like... Um, yeah. Like our, our parents that like may not be employed per se and like have like a single income household, like they spend a lot of time, like we're worrying about these things and preparing for birth. I, I feel <laughs> like
1: people overthink it and you can read so much literature out there, but I think my perspective on so many things is like, I mean, how do all these people know, you know, something that works for one person may not work for somebody else. So you just kind of got to yeah. do do what's best for you.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Did you work with an OBGYN or did you have a preference around your provider?
1: Uh, yeah, I did have an OBGYN. It was a different person because I lived in two different cities for, for the two kids. Um, but no, I mean, I think I mostly just looked up sort of general reviews and, and pick somebody.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Um, how did you think about sort of splitting decisions around birth and your kids with your husband? I,
1: I kind of feel like we didn't make that many decisions, so there wasn't a whole lot to <laughs> split. Like, yeah. okay, what hospital? Great. I never consulted him about my doctor because I was the one who was going to go in, right? <laughs> like, was, the doctor was going to look yeah. at me, not at him. So, um, so that was that was kind of the only decision. I mean, I think other decisions post birth or around you know perhaps diapering i think we had some grand ideas like oh we're going to cloth diaper all this stuff but you know day 1 we're like oh my gosh cloth diapering takes so much longer than disposable okay. diaper so we threw that idea out the window so i think you know we kind of just like adjusted along the way as we actually figured out what reality was <laughs> yeah <laughs> and and okay. you know, we did end up like tag teaming a lot on so many things and i i'm quite grateful for that just because it was you know, it, it really does take a village to raise a child. Like people are not kidding when I say that.
0: Yeah. Did you have any support, um, like in terms of nannies or family around? My, my parents were so helpful both times. Yeah. They, you
1: know, they were there both times and, and stayed with us and, you know, helped out for months on end. Um, I, you know, that was huge. (laughs)
0: That's awesome, yeah, I feel like it's um very much customary in like Asian families to just have that like support very immediately,
1: yeah, yeah, and i I can i I really struggle to understand how people are able to do all of this without any support it yeah. it's a really challenging, challenging thing,
0: yeah, for sure. Um, cool well, I'd love to delve deeper into your birth story, especially since you you mentioned your son being in the NICU. Um so yeah, what kind of happened leading up to birth, and why why did your son deliver early? um and if you don't mind talking about it too, why was he in the the NICU?
1: so actually, both kids uh delivered early by the month and in fact, wow. it was in exactly the same sort of way. So with my older one, I you know, I, I was about a month out and I, I, this is probably a TMI, but like, I noticed that actually, um, it seemed like I had peed in my pants, uh, mm. just a little bit, but I thought, oh, well, yeah. you know, pregnant women have issues with their, with their <laughs> body parts, but
0: yeah, but then
1: I, but I felt like, gosh, I don't, I don't remember feeling like I peed in my pants. So this is kind of weird. Mm -hmm. maybe my water broke a little bit and then I started googling this and this was at maybe four in the morning or something so Uh, I'm googling this like how to know if your water broke and of course it's not helpful because like you you can't figure that out from google um so I thought okay well this is a little bit weird I just don't really I'm not really sure here because I don't actually think I peed in my pants and this doesn't this seems slightly different so we decided to you know pack up just in case and go into the hospital to see if anyone had any thoughts on this and while we were going to the hospital my water fully broke mm. in the car and so then i knew okay like now i'm just totally drenched in whatever this liquid is and <laughs> that, now i know my water did break so so that's yeah. how I ended up having to deliver because when we got to the hospital, they said, Oh, well, now that your water has broken, you you have to go through with the delivery. Like, you know, you mm. can't keep the baby in there. So so that's that's how I ended up delivering. And then that happened again the second with the second one as well. Um, but mm. of course, the second time I knew exactly what was happening because it was an exact repeat
0: of the first time. Oh wow. Do you know why it happened? I don't
1: know.
0: Hmm. Okay, interesting. So how did you sort of experience birth? Like, did you have an epidural um, or was it like pretty fast because your water had broken already?
1: I had an epidural. It it was, I think, you know, compared to perhaps other women's breathing experiences, it was pretty fast.
0: Mm. But, you know,
1: when you think about an actual, I don't know, time period, like we went in early in the morning and didn't give birth until 4 p.m. So I think, you know, that was, it was still several hours uh, before I fully dilated to be able to give birth. Um, You know, they didn't induce me. They just felt like, okay, this will take its natural course. So we just kind of waited, but the second one, it was much faster. I gave birth around noon. So it was about half the time, same situation again, woke up early in the morning and my water had broke. So um, but I guess people had told me, oh, second children tend to deliver faster anyway. And mm-hmm. so anyway, that's that's how that happened. It is funny with my first one, like when I was in there just kind of sitting around, I overheard this woman kind of talking very loudly, like yelling, I want my tubes tied. I don't want this to happen again. <laughs> and I was like, oh, gosh, like what am I in for? <laughs>
0: Yeah, so did you like the process of giving birth or did you think it was scary or too painful or anything like that? I think mine was very straightforward,
1: but, you know, certainly leading up to that in the pregnancy, it is incredibly uncomfortable to have like a big, essentially beach ball, like that you're always lugging around. And I was only eight months, right? I can't even imagine women who carried a full term. Like I've heard that last really, really challenging. Um, And then I was very lucky that things were fairly straightforward. You know, I certainly have friends who were in the birthing process for essentially, you know, 48 hours or whatever, which I can't even imagine. You know, you can't sleep. You're so tired. Like it, it's, it sounds awful. Yeah. And, and certainly complications um, can be challenging, but I, I was very lucky and didn't have that. Okay.
0: That's awesome. Um, if you don't mind me asking, what age were you each time you gave birth?
1: Yeah. I think with my older one, I was, Turning thirty three. So I was
0: thirty two. Okay, cool.
1: And in uh twenty seventeen, which was three years later, I uh I was turning
0: thirty six. Okay. So was that one deemed a high risk pregnancy? It was, yeah. And okay. Did you so, do anything? Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. So we learned
1: the gender earlier and that kind of thing, but they didn't do anything really different other than, okay. um some level of testing as a result of that
0: right okay interesting yeah i, I interviewed an uh, an mfm last week and he was saying um it's funny that people even like he kind of almost forgets that above 35 is considered high risk because in la it's like everyone is above 35 giving birth yeah yeah <laughs> i mean
1: i certainly have many friends in fact i would say most of my friends probably have given birth 35 and onwards
0: yeah okay cool Um, so during birth, I I feel like a lot of parents try to do, or they have certain coping mechanisms that try to keep them as calm as possible. Like I've heard about parents, like just basically watching reruns of Gilmore Girls and things like that, because it's meant to just help birth move, uh, more easily if you are like not under duress. Um, so, was there anything in particular that you did to make you feel peaceful, um, or like different people in the environment, or anything like that?
1: I think the first one we were not very well prepared because when we
0: went to the hospital, we didn't necessarily
1: expect to stay there. Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but with the second one, because it was a repeat, we knew oh we needed to take kind of everything in just in case. Yeah. And so um, for the second one, I just played iPad games. Um, sort of fun fact I think before I became a startup founder a long time ago when I had a a lot of time I played a lot of of bejeweled Mm. Um, and if I had to pick out like a a weird skill like I'm actually pretty good at bejeweled I (laughs) may say so myself unfortunately that's not a very monetizable skill so um, I I have thought about that but anyway I I
0: um
1: that's what I played for a few hours
0: (laughs) oh wow that's so cool um, okay, awesome. So what position did you ultimately give birth in, if you remember?
1: I don't know, just you know, in the hospital, like
0: whatever that chair recline is in. okay, yeah. <laughs> um, is there anything that you wish you could have done differently with any of your births or anything that you would change in the future?
1: No, mm-hmm. I mean, I guess given that it was very straightforward, uh, I'm quite grateful for that. I think. um, yeah, there there's nothing I would have changed.
0: Okay, cool. Did you happen to have any doula's or midwives that were assisting you throughout birth or pregnancy? Mm-hmm. Or even postpartum?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Okay. No. Cool. Um, and did you ever think about cord blood banking during birth? <laughs> <laughs> I um I
1: had gotten some materials on it and I had thought about it briefly, but I felt like I didn't, you know, it was sort of thrown at you at the last minute when everything
0: yeah. is
1: very chaotic. Uh, and so it was one of those things where it's like, oh, I have zero time to think about it, and then it's too late. Yeah. I feel like that's something that more people should know about Mm -hmm. way before, like, way before they're about, pretty much about to give birth. Like, that's just not a great time to start learning Mm -hmm. about things. (laughs) So I I feel like that, and also I think, you know, when I gave birth for both of those, both of my kids, it was a, a bit newer of a concept, or rather, you know, less discussed for sure. Like I don't, I've never discussed that with any of my friends.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It is interesting. I think one of our like bigger missions is to make it as common as like how people ask if you got an epidural or not. Um, Like I want it to be right. that prevalent. Um, So yeah, but, but it is, it is interesting. Like typically we try to find people at around like 30 weeks. I feel like that's kind of a good time when people are beginning to prepare for birth, but, um, but it's still early enough that, yeah, if you deliver early, like you, then um you're you're still like thinking about it and prepared but we've also had parents like I think the the latest we've gotten a kit to someone is when they were four centimeters dilated they placed the order (laughs) yeah so in those cases we just expedite and do everything we can to to get it there oh my gosh wow (laughs) Okay, cool. Well, I'd love to move into the postpartum period. Um, How did you structure a routine immediately after birth? How did you identify what a routine should be? Um, Like, did it come from your parents, or yeah, just kind of what? What did that look like? It was really challenging. Um, You know, I think because there's just
1: so much sleep deprivation, and people handle that in different ways. I personally don't do well with such sleep deprivation. You know, certainly when I was younger or when I was a founder before having children, I've pulled a number of all nighters, but I feel like it's different because all nighters are on your own terms. Yeah. But sleep deprivation because someone else is crying and you can't predict when they'll be crying, like is a totally different thing. So so I was not at all prepared for that. And I think um my husband and I tried to tag team it where, you know, he would go to sleep early and I would take care of the baby and then he would wake up super early and I would go to sleep. Like he would wake up at, I don't know, two in the morning is what I'm talking about. Like he would go to bed super early, like maybe five or six uh, or later seven or so, and then wake up at two. And then I would go to bed pretty late and then wake up, you know, later. And then my folks would come in the morning and, you know, help out a lot, cooking, cleaning, you know, handling the baby, et cetera. Um, but I think even with all that help and that tag teaming, like that kind of schedule really wears on you over the weeks and months. And um I honestly, for the first one, felt pretty depressed, mm-hmm. but I, I don't feel like I had any outlets. I mean, fortunately it wasn't so bad where, you know, anything drastic happened. Um But it was, it was honestly very tough.
0: Mm, yeah. Yeah. I feel like I, I'm glad that you bring it up and thank you for being vulnerable because I feel like, um, yeah, not enough people talk about experiencing postpartum depression and especially if you're like in the early stages of running a company, then, um, yeah, that can be kind of crazy. It's,
1: it's, it's also easy to, to say, you know, cause I think in startup culture, everyone's always trying to show that they're killing it. And so it's really easy to say, Oh, yeah, it's no big deal having a baby. But (laughs) yeah, it was really tough. I think for the second one, you know, in some sense, it was tougher, because now you have like, two young children. But in other words, it was easier because I already had expectations set around, all right, this is what's gonna happen. It's going to suck for the next four months. But Mm -hmm. you know, we'll just plow through it. And so it's like, I could see light at the end of the tunnel with the second one, but with the first one, I just had no idea how long that would continue. Yeah, will it be like this forever?
0: And I think it was that uncertainty that actually makes it mentally hard. Right, how did you cope with kind of like lesser mental health than you're normally accustomed to?
1: I don't think I had any
0: great mechanisms.
1: Mm. I, I probably didn't.
0: Yeah, did you expect or recognize that it was like depression that you were experiencing? Yeah, I did know that it was, but I didn't know what to do about it.
1: I mean, I have also had friends who have had postpartum depression but and theirs was way worse <laughs> as funny as it sounds because I, I don't feel like I had my children super early because I had my children earlier than many of my friends I also felt like I didn't really have any guidance like I didn't I didn't have anyone to talk with about
0: this as far as my peer yeah. group went
1: so I, I I didn't really have many resources
0: So I know you you talked about kind of shifting or like trading off like night shifts, essentially with your husband. How did the routine sort of shift over time, especially as things got easier? As things got easier
1: and the baby was able to kind of drop a feeding in there or two, then eventually, you know, we still had sort of this tag teaming schedule for, for many months, but it was a lot easier where, He didn't have to go to sleep as early or wake up as early. And I didn't have to go to sleep as late. It worked out a bit better. But I think then at that point, you know, even if you're sleeping, say, seven hours or eight hours, even, you still feel really awful because there were many months where you were only sleeping four. Yeah. And so the catch up just takes a really long time. Hmm
0: i think the other thing
1: is the the other reason why i think we were not sleeping that much even though it sounded like when i said those times we were sleeping a lot is with a preemie well i guess my kids were both borderline preemies like they wake up i think more frequently than a a larger child just because they need to feed more um they have smaller stomachs and so you know sometimes my kids would be waking up every two hours instead of every three and I think, you know, that extra hour of sleep is, is helpful that we just never got.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Some parents that I've chatted with in tech, especially a lot of them get night nannies. So is there ever sort of like a consideration around that or a purposeful decision not to have one?
1: I think in hindsight, maybe we should have gotten a night nanny. So actually if there were anything I would do over, it might be that. Hmm. Um, I think one of the things that we really grappled with was, you know, honestly, uh, especially with the first one, we didn't have a whole lot of money. And so, and night nannies are pretty expensive. Yeah. Um, so I think that was just something that we felt like, mm, we can probably kind of muddle through it. I mean, I think the other part of it is also as first time parents, we didn't know exactly what we were muddling through, at the, you know, initially. Um, certainly by the second one, I guess we did know better. But the thing that I had, the other thing that I, you know, found challenging was with the, with the second one, actually, I felt like, okay, you know, maybe my husband can just like sleep through the night and I could do all of these shifts because honestly, I would be waking up anyway to pump yeah. and the difference between waking up to pump versus pump and deal with the baby is actually not that big of a deal like the main issue is still you're waking up every couple of hours and (laughs) so I I, that's the thing where I felt like okay then getting a night nanny may not be a great trade-off because like I'm
0: still waking up anyway (laughs) Mm, yeah that makes sense yeah I'm curious what your relationship was with breastfeeding like how long did you breastfeed how did you feel about it like pumping versus formula versus um Yeah, just the the whole routine.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of people have given us good advice to pump like from day one because that's more scalable. And I guess that's how I tend to think, right? As a founder. So, you know, then anybody can feed the baby. But I think, you know, breastfeeding is easier than pumping for sure. The only, so I kind of did a little bit of both, but the problem is actually, you know, I never really put in a lot of effort into this. And honestly, actually, I think, you know, either pumping or breastfeeding contributed to some of my depression. It's Mm -hmm. very hormonal and I don't know exactly the mechanism of how it works, but I was not feeling great. And so I did not pump or breastfeed for as long as perhaps I might've hoped. I think with, um, my older one, I did that for, I want to say four months. And then with my younger one, I did that for three months. So pretty, short period of time, I think compared to many other women, but I felt just mentally so much better like when I stopped.
0: Yeah. Was it the the obligation to it or the hormones that were the hormones.
1: In? Yeah. Oh, okay. I mean, I'm sure it's a combination of things, the hormones and also getting more sleep at that point. Yeah. But it's yeah, I it really did not m- make me feel good. <laughs> yeah. And so, I-
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting because it's really common. And I, I think like specifically like postpartum mental health is like discussed very little, but postpartum mental health in relation to breastfeeding, I find like whenever I talk about that on social media, it tends to go viral just because people like, and they'll, they'll always be like, like if, even if it's a midwife, just basically saying it's okay to stop pumping. If you feel like it's sacrificing your mental health. Like I always see comments that are like, this took a turn like that. I didn't think it would take, like people are just surprised to hear people even talk about it and to say that it's okay to let it go.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think my perspective was all right. I'm a little bit disappointed in myself that I, you know, I couldn't keep this up longer, but, and, and, you know, part of that is I guess societal pressure. Part of that is just, I I do think to some extent breast milk is good for the baby, um, it is natural. And I think, but I think the last part of it is just, gosh, like I'm, I'm not strong enough to like do this for that long, you know, just a weird sort of self-pressure. But I think though, I think in the end, like mental health is so important in whatever it is you're doing. Like if you're not in the right headspace for whatever it is you're doing, like you should
0: stop doing it. <laughs> right. Yeah. So I
1: think that's just my general belief on that.
0: Yeah. How did you balance continuing on, your company and or Hustle Fund um, as you were sort of experiencing fluctuations with mental health?
1: I mean, that was sort of also the other hard thing, right? Like if you're not in the right headspace around this, then you're not gonna be around in the right headspace for really anything. So I think, you know, once I stopped uh, pumping and breastfeeding, then that also made a lot of things just a lot better. Like I just felt more like my normal self and could do things normally yeah. Um so I, I really just think sort of those first call it four months was really really hard for a number of things certainly sleep deprivation but also this pumping and breastfeeding thing and that that was what really made it hard to say run a startup or start a fund but once we got past that then it yeah, I mean certainly I was busier and a little bit more sleep deprived, but we it was a lot easier to kind of go through some of these things beyond the the breastfeeding and pumping.
0: Was there anything that surprised you most about your about birth and also postpartum?
1: Oh my gosh. I mean, I think,
0: you know, the first time in going through it, everything was a
1: surprise. <laughs> you know, even from sort of the little things of just I had no idea how sleep deprived. I would be, especially since I have pulled a lot of all nighters before. I didn't really understand that. I think another thing I didn't understand was again, the hormonal journey. Another thing I didn't understand was just when people talk about women need time to recover. I I did not know what that actually meant. Right. Like I was wearing depends diapers for several weeks on end. Like I didn't realize that all this stuff can come out of you, (laughs) but I suppose, what else did I expect? Like, how did I think babies were born and what happens after that? So, you know, I I mean, everything was just totally new. Um, But I think what also goes with that is like, I didn't know that you can't really, certainly can't go for a jog Like afterwards. You just physically can't can't really walk very well and all this other stuff. Like I did not know any of that.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Was there any advice that you got uh, about birth or postpartum that you were like, this is the best advice that I've received?
1: I I did receive advice from some people that was similar, which is around, you need to do things that scale and delegate. I mean, that's pretty much, I guess, the same advice you would give any founder. But I mean, everything from, you know, we're talking about the pumping, but also anybody can do dishes, anybody can cook, you can order food. Like, don't try to be a hero and take on everything. It's okay to have, like, a, a messy living space. Like, it's going to be like that forever you know, just kind of letting go on all these things, because you can really drive yourself crazy, like literally just trying to live your life, uh, you know, post birth. And I think the best advice that I got was like, you, you really need to let go on a lot of pieces. Um, Have the baby sleep in another room. Like you need to get as much sleep as you can, like all this stuff, basically do things at scale. And that was really the best advice I received from multiple people.
0: Okay. Awesome. Um, and then kind of inversely, what was your favorite moment of birth and postpartum? I don't know if there was a favorite moment at birth, (laughs) (laughs)
1: Uh, but you know, I I think it's just like a really weird awe feeling, um, like seeing my firstborn because it's like, wow, (laughs) like you can, like, you can actually, create this other living being that's just a weird feeling yeah Um, it was also a very scary feeling especially since you know both my kids were in the NICU and I was actually very afraid like oh my firstborn just may not make it like Mm -hmm. in the NICU those children are so small and they're so frail and they're on all these crazy machines that beep every two seconds. You're just not sure whether whether your kid is going to make it. And those people in the NICU do, you know, uh, do amazing work.
0: Yeah. Yeah, what, I'm, I'm curious what advice you have for parents whose kids might be in the NICU as well. Uh, my
1: friend whose, I guess, sister was in the NICU tried to tell me to relax, but it is really hard. It is really yeah. hard when it's your own child in the NICU. And I mean, since since then, like I've had other friends whose kids have, you know, had to go to the NICU and have certainly seen my friends get worried. And right. I think there's only so much reassuring you can do. Like you, you try to do the best you can, but parents will always still be worried, especially with their firstborn, <laughs> about their child yeah. being
0: in the NICU. Yeah. How long were both of your kids in the NICU?
1: My first born was in the NICU for about two weeks. And then my my second born was in there for only like three days or something. Yeah, okay. not that long. Yeah, okay,
0: cool. But yeah, I, I'm curious how you define your routine today with your kids. And also since you mentioned that you sort of traded off with your husband if those trade-offs continued into today. The trade-offs do continue today. today. Obviously those trade-offs
1: are a lot easier now, like pickups yeah. and drop-offs. You know who reads the bedtime story that kind of stuff it, it's way way easier today and i think in part because uh, you know to our conversation earlier like my children are pretty self-sufficient so you know they get all their stuff ready themselves and sometimes they they don't do a good job of it like this one time i got a, a call from from my son's school i was like you know hey it seems like he he doesn't have a whole lot of lunch Oh, well, why doesn't he have a whole lot of lunch? Well, he he didn't really pack a lot of lunch. And, <laughs> and I basically was like, well, you know, is he starving? I mean, this may sound awful, but is he starving? And, and they said, no, no, we're going to give him some snacks. And I was like, oh, okay, great. <laughs> and then later when I picked him up from school, you know, he really did learn his lesson that he needed to pack more lunch. And yeah. I, th- I actually think that's contrary to what most parents would do. I think mo- many parents would probably judge me and say, well, that was a very poor parenting move, you know but my child is not going to die of starvation at this like at school right like it's perfectly yeah. fine I, but i do think that like having children kind of learn those lessons earlier on is better certainly better than when you're i don't know 22 right, right. and that, that's kind of my the way that i operate with my with my kids i have very high expectations of what they should be able to do at their age
0: Yeah. Do you sort of teach them, I guess, like the rationale behind what they're doing? Or or do they ask? Or are you just kind of like, make sure to get these things done at this point? Or do you even think they understand like the rationale, especially at the early stages?
1: They do. I mean, I think kids are really smart and actually can be self-sufficient if you let them. I think just most parents don't let their kids do things on their own. Like even when my kids were both three or so I let them pour out their own cereal and a lot of people may feel like, well, kids don't really have the dexterity for that. They may spill it all over, all over the place. And I think to some extent that's true. Like obviously when somebody first learns to pour cereal, like they're going to spill it. And you know, we had to clean up a lot of messes, but <laughs> I had them do a lot of the cleanup of the messes. So they learned, okay, it's important to pour carefully. Yeah. And with practice, you get better at everything. And that's, <laughs> that's
0: really what you're doing with them. You're, pra- you're having them Practice a lot. Did you anticipate having this parenting philosophy or was it just kind of crafted as as they went in?
1: I think just as we've gone along. Yeah. <laughs> and I think also part of it is just kid dependent. Like there are some things at the same age that, you know, my older one can do that my younger one couldn't, or vice versa. So mm-hmm. it really also depends a lot on the kid, whether it's a task around dexterity. Or even around organization, like my older one is just naturally very organized, my younger one, like needs more guidance on that, um, but is getting there. So, you know, I think every child is different and has strengths and weaknesses, just like everybody else.
0: Yeah, and it's super interesting. My my mom was actually pretty similar, but I think sort of out of necessity, like she was Um, working a lot. And I was kind of like, my parents were divorced. I mostly spent time with my mom and then she was working. And then my grandpa mostly watched me because he moved into the house. I feel like that's like the Asian filial piety, Um, but he didn't speak English. So like, I had to kind of like figure things out on my own because I didn't speak Chinese. Um, So I would just tell him like where I needed to be and at what time, but everything else, like I would figure out on my own. (laughs)
1: Yeah, I mean, that's what makes total sense. And I have so many friends, you know, like my age who are were in a similar boat or something where they had to do, you know, their parents taxes at like age 12 <laughs> or something. And it's just like, you yeah. know, we don't think about that as being something a child can do. But you know what, honestly, push comes to shove, a lot of people can do things if they are, are you know, if they have no other choice.
0: Yeah. Yeah. My mom would have me, um, edit her like business documents because she's not a native yeah. English speaker. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Right. So I think it's people step
1: up to the moment, like when they need to, and the same certainly applies for children. We just don't let them do it. Right. I mean, by we, I mean, society in general, doesn't, does, doesn't let them do it, but.
0: Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Um, one of my last questions is what is your favorite thing about being a parent? And um. what advice do you have for new parents?
1: You know, if I'm going to be honest, for many years, I would say I didn't love parenting. Like, I don't think I love the baby stage or the, or certainly not the toddler stage where, where, you know, they have so many temper tantrums and are unreasonable. But I think sort of the turning point was, you know, around four or five, like children can talk, they can reason, they certainly have a mind of their own, but like, it's, it's more rational. Uh, And so it is really kind of a joy to see them not only form their own personalities, but really grow and learn and just, you know, become themselves. And that's been very rewarding.
0: Um, Do you have advice for new parents?
1: I'm very much into sort of this scaled mentality, whether it's, you know, at the baby stage of delegating things that you personally don't need to do all the way through, you know, I think where I am now in just sort of having your children do a lot of things. Like I I just I think that has served me well. And um and I think frankly speaking, I think it has served my children well as as well. And so that that would be my advice. Like I think
0: parents often underestimate what their kids can do, but kids can do a lot. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, Okay. And then my last question is, what do you think it means to be a good parent?
1: I think it's kind of two things. One is obviously sort of being very, very nurturing, Um, you know, whether it's being loving and caring, but also trying to provide the best for your children. But I, I think the other component is about parenting is, is again, kind of a little bit going back to this scale and independence theme, which is My job or anyone's job as a parent is to get their child ready to be an adult. And so I think there is that second component that people don't often talk about, which is the the coaching your child to become an adult and become an independent adult who's ideally not an asshole. (laughs) So I think that's that's the part that is, you know, really, I think, the definition of being a parent. Anybody can be nurturing and caring whether it's other relatives or teachers. And certainly that's important for parents like baseline table stakes, but the other component is preparing your child to become an adult.
0: Yeah. Okay. Awesome. And both of your kids are boys, right? Uh, a girl and a boy. Oh, okay. Okay. Cool. Um, do you find a difference in like how you parent each of them because of sort of like gender norms and everything like that?
1: I don't think i treat them differently based on their gender norms but i think they have different personalities that sometimes are related to gender um you know my son for example has always you know never been cautious like he'll like jump in like jump out of a car onto the sidewalk it's just like why would you do that you know i i think that is you know, some of that is a little bit gender related, but I d- I don't think we treat our children differently, um, or try not to at least.
0: Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Um. Well, it's ten fifty nine. So yeah, those are all the questions that I have. But I really, really appreciate you taking the time. Um, this was really, really insightful, and, um, I'll I'll send you the tweet before I tweet it. Um, but yeah. But if you have any feedback, especially since you're so good at Twitter content, I would definitely love to hear it. <laughs> so yeah i'll I'll let you know. and I'm doing one with Eric too, so I'm excited. Oh, cool. okay. Well, okay. thanks,
1: Catherine. Yeah, okay. thank you. okay. Have me. Thank you. Too. Bye.